You're now listening to Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. I want to take a couple of seconds here to talk about this episode's sponsor, Rails. Rails is on a mission to build the largest financial data network as an underlying foundation to all financial technology companies and financial institutions of the future. I'm a bit of a data geek and know that data is the thing that underlies every modern financial technology solution. It's not the easiest to get a hold of, especially on businesses. This is where Rails comes in with its single API that enables businesses to connect major financial and accounting service providers like QuickBooks, Sage, FreshBooks, and more. With Rails, you get the business data you need to build the next Altlender, Neobank, forecasting software, or even modern insurance brokerage. And Rails does the difficult process of normalizing so that you're working with smart data. Rails has a special offer for startups. When you sign up for Rails pay-as-you-go plan, you qualify for six months free access to all connections, all live integrations, and all environments. You can follow the link in the description or let their team know that you came through FinTech Confidential. Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential.com and sign up for Fintech Confidential information at access.fintechconfidential.com. Mark, welcome to the show. And I was blown away with the way you were approaching payments and the gaming and especially in sports betting back in 2019 when we met at Pay Conference. Now, there's so much has changed in the past two years, and I'm excited to hear what you've learned through all of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a whirlwind. When we were first uh, implementing cryptocurrency payments into uh, sports betting and gaming, I think we were really one of the truly first licensed uh, products. At this point, it was just licensed internationally, not yet in the United States, that was trying to do sports betting using cryptocurrencies. And uh, certainly a couple of other companies and props have come along since then to, to try and look at it. But what we really started out and set up to do when we launched our uh, sports betting product in early 2019 internationally was to really remove a lot of the pain points that come with traditional financial institutions within the gaming and gambling and sports betting world. And there are numerous uh, amounts of pain points that come with these traditional financial institutions. We can get into those in a little bit, but we knew that there was a better, more streamlined way for doing payments and rewards within, again, sports betting and gambling in general, beyond just traditional fiat or points or comps that you might get with other more traditional longstanding operators within the space. And so I think it's really cool that we were able to be one of the first ones to get started with that. And yeah, there's been just a ton of evolution since that time, since two and a half years ago, we've really found that customers have gravitated towards our crypto focused rewards program. So that's first and foremost. Um, so even if you're not really keen to use crypto for your actual betting pieces uh, or actual betting wagers, you're definitely still potentially interested in it for the rewards. And then there's actually a lot of people that wanted to bet with the cryptocurrencies. And we had over 92% of the bets in our, actually 99, excuse me, that were taking place using cryptocurrencies over the course of two years while we were operating internationally. Even though some of that was in the form of stable coins, it still was crypto. And so I think that's what's really interesting is that cryptocurrency doesn't just have to be Bitcoin or coins or tokens that can jump or drop in value in a heartbeat, but it can also be stable coins that just make the process of 
depositing, wagering, withdrawing, and funding a lot easier. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been super awesome the last two and a half years, really three years, and uh, excited for the next several years as well too. Man, my head is spinning. That is so much stuff you guys have done. We met in I think it was September of 2019. So yeah, it's been about two and a half years. But wow, wow, that is a lot of stuff. And it, it's no surprise. You are a seasoned entrepreneur. You founded numerous businesses. I think your first tech startup was Say Hired. And then you moved into real estate software with Rezio. And you had an amazing exit in 2015 to Realtor.com. I got into real estate investing in 2004, buying some investment properties in the Bay Area, then eventually in Miami with basically is buying old properties and renting them out for passive income. And as I was going through a lot of these different real estate transactions in the 2000s, I saw how painful it was going through just the actual paperwork and transaction process of those deals. And it was very frustrating dealing with mountains of paperwork, scanning, faxing, not knowing where things are, having this very opaque transaction process. So Recio, which we started back in 2012, was essentially a transaction management platform that automated a lot of the paperwork and processes for buying and selling a home for real estate agents and brokers. Uh, so they didn't have to, again, scan, email, fax, whatever it might be. They could just literally click and sign, share documents electronically, have a nice dashboard with their clients or with their third-party vendors like escrow and title and loan officers, et cetera, for where things were at in the process. And it was essentially a back office management tool for real estate brokers and agents. And that was born out of a big pain point that I had with investing in real estate. As you mentioned, Realtor.com acquired us in 2015. We hung out there, or I hung out there, I should say, uh, for a little over a year uh, as a VP of software. I'm really curious. How did you go from real estate to sports betting? Like th those two things sound so far apart. How did that happen? Yeah, I've always been a diehard sports fan ever since the late 80s growing up in Wisconsin. Uh, huge uh, Packers, Brewers, and Bucks fan. So sports has always been a part of my life. And then I had always had this burning idea of simplifying and making recreational sports just a much easier process for discovering local leagues and tournaments going on in your area, for uh, registering for those tournaments, managing those tournaments, et cetera. So we basically got to work on uh, launching Zen or creating Zen Sports and it originally launched in early 2017 as a recreational sports product, nothing to do with sports betting. And then after about 15 months of that, we got some pretty good traction in terms of signups. I think over 10, 12,000 signups in pretty short order. However, it was just a really tough space to monetize rec sports that is. And rec sports in general is a lot of fun for people, but there's not a lot of money spent on it, except for maybe on equipment. And so when PASPA got repealed in May of 2018, we thought this was a great opportunity to pivot to sports betting. And again, I had always been an avid sports fan for, you know, three decades plus. And I uh, really was starting to get really excited about blockchain and cryptocurrency. I was about six months at the time into my cryptocurrency trading, day trading hobby. And I just recognized the power of blockchain and decentralized payments. And I said, look, there's no better industry to apply decentralized payments than to sports betting and gambling. Was my co-founder and, and I discussed it over. We got to building it out and really felt like we could differentiate ourselves compared to traditional sports books by offering a peer-to-peer -peer betting platform that use cryptocurrencies as the primary mechanism for funding, wagering, and rewards. And it did very well internationally. And then most recently, as you may have seen, we got our Nevada gaming license in August of 2000. 
2021. And we are going to be launching in Nevada next month, which is just super exciting in terms of what we'll be able to accomplish here in the U.S. and growing from here. Doing my research, the article that just blew my mind is, you remember the movie, We Bought a Zoo? I haven't I seen it. What is that about? Oh, so it's a, I think Brad Pitt's in it. I'm probably wrong. So I'm probably going to get annihilated in the comments, but, but they, this guy ends up buying a zoo in Indiana and his family raises all these wild animals in this like sanctuary type zoo. And that's what I thought of when I saw that you guys had actually bought a casino yep. in Nevada. Yeah, we still own it too. Is that how you're getting a license in Nevada? Yeah, exactly. So many states, including Nevada, require you to own a brick and mortar casino in order to operate a sports betting, have a sports betting license, be able to operate a sports betting app there. A few states allow you to partner with a casino, but many states require you to flat out just own it. And one of our angel investors who owns a few casinos in Nevada, he sold us one of them, uh, which is a kind of a small gas station truck stop casino about 90 miles east of Reno called Big Wheel Casino. It's only got about 50 slot machines and no table games, no sports book yet, just a bar and 50 slot machines in the back of a truck stop. And that is what we have used to be able to get our Nevada gaming license and to be able to get our authorization for operating a sports betting app in Nevada. Super, I guess, a hacky way to get there, but we were able to buy it much cheaper than it would cost to buy a much bigger casino. And as a small startup, we have to be conscious of costs and cash flow at all times. So for us to be able to casino cheap is, was really imperative for us to be able to get our Nevada license. And that really gave us the uh, ability to get into the state. And uh, we exercised that the right to buy that casino in October, a couple months after we got our Nevada gaming license. And we have been owning it for the past five months or so and uh, generates the slot machines generate revenue. So we uh, generate revenue from the slot machines there. And then when we launch our sports betting app in Nevada next month, we will add a, a physical sports book to that location as well, too. In fact, we built it all out. We just haven't launched it yet. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's definitely, uh, it's not the Venetian or it's not the block, but it satisfies that requirement to own the sports betting product. And it's also fun too, because it's a smaller casino that gives us, gets our feet wet within the casino business, which we know we're going to need to do in other states as well, too, as we get our sports betting licenses in other places. So it's a good start for us to, to get going in the casino business with the smaller place in Nevada. As I think through the plot of the movie, it's you get to see like all of the things you don't think about if, if you're an amateur that's not a zookeeper in real life and you end up buying a zoo, all the different things that happen. And with doing something like that, how are you navigating those uncharted waters? Right. And how has that changed the way that you look at the overall business for you. So yes, getting our Nevada gaming license was very painful, took a long time, wasn't easy. And I can say that uh, a top secret security clearance is probably easier to get than a Nevada gaming license. But just to put it in perspective what it took to get the gaming license first and what it means going forward, both my co-founder and myself, since we're the key people in the company, we each had to get individual licenses and then the company had to get its company license. For Aton and I, my co-founder and I, to get our gaming license, we had to provide years and years of tax returns, bank statements, uh, credit card statements, real estate holdings, any kind of financial accounts, retirement accounts, whatever it might be, to, to the Nevada Gaming Control Board and to be able to answer any question pretty quickly that they had on that. So not only, you know, are we, you know, very good actors with no skeletons in the closet and very squeaky clean, but we had to be really on top and know our history as well as 
those statements and financials did. Like we, I don't want to say we had to memorize the information, but we, if they asked us a question, what was this deposit for $1,238 and 62 cents back in 2013, we had to be able to look at that and go, oh, I know what that was and turn it around pretty quickly and provide any receipts or documentation for it. Going through all of that, it took a year from beginning to end, from when we submitted our application in August of 2020 to getting our official gaming license in August, 2021, took a year. And the final step in August, 2021 was to go in front of the Nevada Gaming Control Board a couple of times in front of their, what's called the board. And then another group is called the commission. And then they basically put you under the gun like a Senate hearing and ask you every single possible question, question you on everything you've ever done. And you've got to be able to answer their questions and, and do it, you know, confidently and succinctly so that they have confidence that you are suitable for running um, a gaming business in Nevada. And so getting that was a huge deal. Even a couple of our top competitors, DraftKings and FanDuel, even they're not licensed in Nevada yet. So for us to be able to get that gaming license in Nevada is a big deal. They don't hand that out to just everybody. Anybody that's dealing with Zen Sports can feel the utmost confidence that from a diligence perspective, KYC, AML, uh, suitability, et cetera, that we are of the highest ethical and responsible and suitable folks to do business with because of that gaming license that we have in Nevada. That is fantastic, man. Congratulations. That is a huge thing to overcome. Yeah. I'm going to shift gears here just quick. I mean, you just talked about getting the license and having your hands in that, but you've got your hands in just about everything at Zen Sports. So how are you staying on the bleeding edge of technology when it comes to your business? Yeah, so we do actually a lot of different things at Zen Sports. We don't just do the sports betting piece. We actually look at ourselves as a platform that touches on really all things sports. So we have a sports betting app, and within that, both a sports book and a peer to peer platform. We have a esports tournament management product that allows us to host esports tournaments of different game titles whenever we want, which we usually do one or once or twice a week. And we've hosted some of the biggest game titles uh, that are out there, like Axie Infinity and Splinterland, which is pretty cool. We have a cryptocurrency trading exchange in our product. So we're doing an NFT drop. So we do a lot of different things that touch on sports payments and, and gaming. And in terms of how we stay on top of it, I really, I think it comes back down to our team. We just have a really diverse team with really diverse backgrounds that understand all the things that we're trying to do. And yes, it's a lot. And you would even maybe go so far as to say, hey, you're a startup. You should just do one thing, really niche thing and just do it really well. And that's how you build a business. And probably most of the time I might agree, but because we already have all this tech built and it all fits in and ties in with each other in, in different ways, and our team is so diversified and knowledgeable about all the different things that we do, we actually manage it well. And it actually, in my opinion, is going to allow us to maximize our rep and take advantage of each of those different areas to its fullest. So yeah, I think to, to really summarize and answer your question, it really comes down to the team understanding all the things that we're doing and staying on that cutting edge of technology, understanding all the different moving pieces, understanding industry trends and how that ties back into what we're trying to do, because otherwise, it is moving so fast. If you don't have a great team that is, again, cutting edge in itself and has that right DNA, but you're not going to be able to stay on top of it all. So you mentioned a whole list of things, and we'll get into a few of those a little bit deeper in a moment. When you look at the horizon, what is the next thing that you see as being the most important thing for Zen Sports? Well, I would say that, and I actually tweeted this out today, a retweet it from somebody else, is NFTs within gaming, I think, are really the next big wave of, I'll say revenue is probably a good word, revenue slash 
industry size within Web3. So everyone's talking about Web3, decentralization, crypto, blockchain, et cetera. And that's all good. You still can't walk into a Starbucks right now and use crypto to pay for something. It's a great store of value like gold is or other assets are. And I do believe at some point, stable coins will become a very easy, smooth way to pay for things, casual goods and services every day, just like cash or credit cards, debit cards are today. But that's not where things are at today. It's probably a few years out. Where I do think is here today are NFTs within gaming. So specifically, if you look at a game like Axie Infinity, where, and I'm, I'm, I'm not an Axie Infinity, I'm not fluent in Axie Infinity by any means, but at the highest, they use NFTs to drive their revenue and to also give their players the ability to have assets. So it used to be if you pulled up a game like Fortnite and you had to buy a, a sword or something like that to get you to the next level, you buy that sword, you give that money to Fortnite and you never see that money again. And that sword is just only good in that. NFTs give you the ability to buy something that's for that game, but that you also then can resell and trade in public markets thereafter. So you're actually buying assets or collectibles that can then later be resold. And I think that is really intriguing because it puts the power uh, back in the hands of the gamers, the customers themselves, while at the same time still generating revenue for the for the game operators and makers. So it's really, I think, a win and I think is going to be the one of the most exciting areas within Web3 over the next couple of years. So what comes to mind for me is a lot of these things, they're very, I'm trying to think of the right term to use, but it feels like what you're doing is that you're generating social cap for all these individuals to leverage and to share and to build up the value through the social interactions. And that really, yes, you can use it in a number of these different places, but how do you see it being, man, my brain is like going like 50 different directions at once right now, but it's like, how do you see it continuing to like expand you've, you've got the web three that everybody's talking about which also gets the nice fun moniker of metaverse that goes along with it and you'd mentioned a game that was blockchain based that starts to go into into that as well how do, how do you see these things starting to come together into one because that's what it yeah. sounds like you're saying yeah absolutely i think it can best be defined with what are the utilitarian benefits of nfts so I was actually having this conversation also on Twitter over the weekend about a lot of people go, well, there's no benefit to NFTs. It's just artwork or whatever. Who cares? And sure, that's a part of it. I'm not saying that there isn't the artwork component to it, but I think it's so much more than that. And what I really think the top three utilitarian, the top two utilitarian benefits besides artwork are for NFTs are memberships and loyalty slash rewards. And so I think NFTs will eventually be used for membership clubs and all the benefits that are associated with such memberships, as well as for loyalty and rewards. And that ties in beautifully with all the other things that we're doing, like sports betting, gambling in general. Like right now, if you go to a casino in Vegas and you become part of their rewards program, you get a call and you earn points, and then you can redeem that points for free hotel rooms or a dinner and whatever else there might be. That's fine, but that's not, I, I think that's the past. That's the way things have been done in the past. And there might be elements of that in the future, but what the future is going to be is what I think are NFTs that are going to represent different tiered statuses in clubs, VIP programs that they have at, at casinos, that they are going to be used for loyalty and rewards instead of points or comps. And there's something of collectible, tangible, utilitarian value with these NFTs 
that you can then go and use them for. And that can be used cross-network. doesn't have to just be in Axie Infinity or whatever game it is. It could be used in physical brick-and-mortar establishments. It can be used for sports betting. It can be used for buying merchandise, sports merchandise. It can be used for anything. And that's the beauty of the blockchain in general, not just NFTs, but the blockchain in general is that it's, it's recordable, but it's easily transferable too. And so I can send you an NFT. I can't send you my points from Vegas type of thing. So I could sell you into that membership club if I wanted to. And that transferability aspect of it, I think is so crucial and cool that especially the next generation of consumers are going to want that liquidity. They're going to want that transferability. They're going to want that ease of use that just, again, like traditional points or whatever your lock wall guarded system is with a particular uh, vendor that you might use doesn't give you. That's what I think is, is really cool and why it really can represent the future. But crypto too, doesn't have to just be in a tease. Crypto for payments and rewards too, I think can really do you know, a great job. You were one of the early adopters of accepting crypto as a form of payment. And I think about the same time, you also spun up your own coin to, to leverage as well. And, and I'm trying to remember very well, but I think you also did an ICO at the same time. So it was like, we did an like STO for a separate security. Token. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You've leveraged all those, but I'm trying to understand you, what was the purpose of creating your purpose for creating your own token versus leveraging one that was already out there? What was like the benefit for you guys to do that? Sure. A, a couple, I think basically two things is branding and control. And they go hand in hand a little bit, right? If you have brand, then you have control over the process and the programs and, and so forth. What does that mean? So instead of us having to rely on other XYZ coin or token for rewards, for example, within our app, we could build our own token, which we did called sports. And from a branding perspective, tout that token as the primary token for rewards and loyalty. And so from a branding standpoint, Zen Sports offering sports tokens, it just sounds good. And it ties into our logo, like the token itself has our logo in front of it. It's got all our same colors. It's got all our same branding. It's got our name on it, et cetera. And so when people are getting sports tokens from a loyalty perspective, they can trust that or they gravitate more towards that if they like our brand which you know, our customers do. Uh, so that I think is huge. And then on the kind of the control side of things, so to speak, we can control where it's traded. We can control the programs that we offer for it. We can control which blockchain and protocol it's built on. We can control how the discussion around our token is. So for example, our token's utility token, it's not a security. And we make sure that people aren't talking about buying the sports token as an investment, it's not an investment, it's utility token. So from that aspect, there's a lot of control aspects that we care about and our customers want that too, not control in a bad way, control in a good way, because again, they're trusting that us as a brand is, are going to do things correctly. Those are the benefits of, of having our token, but it doesn't mean we don't offer other coins in our app for betting and wagering. So you can bet with Bitcoin, you can bet with dollars. You can bet with ICX. You can bet with Tether, which is a stable coin. And, but you earn rewards in sports tokens, uh, but you can also bet sports tokens too. So we still offer choice and we actually care very much about choice. 
But in terms of the rewards token itself, having our own branded token is important. For others who are looking at a lot of the things that you've already implemented, what advice would you have for other software companies, technology companies that are looking at DeFi, like we've talked about the crypto and the NFTs? How, what advice would you have for them if they're looking at, hey, I want to get into this. I want to make this part of my business. What are some things that you would suggest that they they don't do? <laughs> That's the best way to ask the question. What are the things they shouldn't be doing? So a couple of things here. We actually are starting to entertain some uh, potential deals with other enterprise brands about doing some crypto and DeFi development for them. So I would actually say a little bit selfishly, if somebody, if a company, especially a big brand, is thinking of developing their own token or their own NFT collection, come talk to us because I think we can work together in helping develop that for them. And since we have that experience, we can help save them a lot of time and pitfalls in doing so. But let's say you're a new startup and you want to build it yourself um, so that you have, you know, that IP or so that, or you don't have a lot of money you want to spend to, to pay somebody else to do it for you. You just want to get it done yourself. I would say figuring out what you want to do in advance and making it as clear in advance as possible what your plans are with a token or with an NFT collection. And sticking to that with minimal change or variation is really important because the reality is there are a lot of scams out there in crypto and NFTs. There's a ton of them, right? And there's the term rug pull where someone will create a cryptocurrency token, sell a bunch of them and walk away or do the same thing with NFTs. And so there's a trust issue right now between consumers and the crypto and NFT creators. And so to build that trust and maintain that trust, you must create a plan, stick to that plan and execute on that plan with basically very minimal variation. And then the second thing is you got to have a fully docs team. Like your team needs to be out there in the open. They need to have LinkedIn profiles. They need to have uh, social media profiles. You need to know who they are. You need to know that they're real people, not some fly by night company or fly by night group of people that are completely anonymous that you don't know are going to be here tomorrow. That just isn't going to work nowadays. You need a fully docs team. Um, that's out there. And so I think, so I'm you know, gonna, I'm going to raise my hand for, I'm going to raise yeah. my hand for a couple of folks out there who are like, what the heck is docs? Oh, fully revealing of all of your details, like who you are, knowing who you are, knowing who you are, where you come from, being fully transparent on where you're located, your name, your real name. You're basically not anonymous is what you are. Okay. Okay. That's a term that, that I've heard a lot. A lot of people have used. I thought it was another one of those fun fintech or one of those fun technology acronyms that we have to figure out what it is. And, but that's very helpful. It's an actual word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very natural. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you all sidetracked, but like you're talking about like the different things to avoid when you're looking at these things. I think you're right that being transparent is a huge piece of it. That is one of the the biggest proponents of decentralized finance yep. is, is really just everybody saying, yeah, I've, for like a better phrase, I vouch for this person. And you have a bunch of people, everybody in the network that's, that's all saying, yep, it's good. I think that's really important. And totally. especially when you start to get into things that are a little less specific that have more of a perceived value, like an NFT, that that gets to be even more important to be able to, to suss that out. Because what's happening is that people are basically pre-buying something, right? In a lot of ways, 
And yes, people can prepay for software. If you've got any kind of reputable company, you prepay for software and it doesn't work or it breaks, it has a bunch of bucks. Usually you can get a refund to get your money back on that. And, but there really isn't that case in the crypto NFT world because technically you've already consumed and taken possession of whatever it is that you're buying. So there's just this trust element that has to go into it that, hey, you're going to create and deliver what you said you're going to. And that on the consumer side, you're going to give it a chance to use it for utility value. And sometimes that trust can, not sometimes, but a fair amount of time that trust can get broken. And that's why I think the companies that keep that trust and are very transparent and deliver on what they say they're going to and really care about their customers that are buying what I consider to be their products, if it's NFTs or crypto or, or any other financial products or collectibles that they're doing what they say they're going to. That's just very paramount. So yeah, I think that's, yeah, the utmost importance for sure. So you're talking about trust and that is a huge deal because all the different products and services you just talked about with Zen Sports that you're doing and you're offering today, that's what in traditional finance world is viewed as high risk. Help us understand what are the real versus perceived risks and how is that impacting your day-to-day -day business? My opinion on this subject is that the real versus perceived risks are very different than what they actually are. So the perceived risk among financial institutions is gambling, high risk, crypto, high risk, even NFTs, maybe you want to go so far as to that high risk. And it's not just financial institutions, it's social media platforms that won't let you advertise on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be. Of course, it's banks that don't want to do business with you if you're in those areas. Cannabis is another one, although we don't touch on that. And it's just very frustrating that, and I think this is just a perfect example of how the technology on the banking and financial institution side, and even the, God, I'd say corporate advertising side when it comes to platforms like, again, Google, Facebook, et cetera, have just not kept up with the ability to investigate what is legit versus what's not. Because honestly, like I've said before, you look at us as a licensed gaming platform in the state of Nevada, we have been vetted a thousand times over compared to what any bank would be able to do or what any advertising platform would be able to do. And instead of actually taking a moment to look at that, they just have a blanket, no gambling policy. Come on, gambling, sports betting is now legal in 34 states. You're going to honestly tell me no gambling, no gambling policy. And casinos are proliferated in pretty much, I think, every state except two or three. So it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And even the same thing on the crypto and NFT side, on the crypto side, even PayPal and Chase and other big financial institutions have gotten into crypto. So now you're going to say there's no crypto policy blanket wise, blanket wide for all of your customers. Just, it, it's just a one size fits all policy set of policies that don't make any sense. And is not, as you just mentioned before, the same as reality. What's reality is yes, you've got a bunch of scammers or people trying to break the law or commit money laundering, whatever it might be. But then you also have a set of companies that are legitimate and or licensed or credible, and they should be given the opportunity to be able to transact uh, with you, whether again, it be a financial institution or a marketing platform or advertising platform, whatever it might be. And so I think really my frustration with a lot of these companies is just this blanket one size fits all policy, uh, or even what amounts to that. Like they may say, oh, we allow you to go th through a review process, but, but that review process will take 12 months. Well, that's not a, that's not a review process. So it, it, that's really, I think, yeah, that's a gaming license. I expect that with a gaming license, I don't expect that 
when I go apply for a bank account or apply to be able to use Google AdWords. Okay. But that's the type of stuff that is really, it's gotta, it's gotta be dealt with because it's only going to get worse for those, not the, not the companies offering these products, but the, like the crypto or the gambling or the NFT products, but the, the financial institutions or the larger platforms that are saying no to these companies, they are going to have to figure something out because there's going to be more and more startups coming into this space. And it's just, this is just the beginning. So if they think this is going to go away, they're sorely mistaken. So they need to figure something out how to deal with this because pretty soon what's going to happen is your bakery on the corner is going to begin accepting cryptocurrency payments to buy. And what's going to happen then is Bank of America going to shut their account down. If everyone is accepting it, are they never going to accept business accounts? So they're going to have to figure something out and do it quickly because it's coming faster than they can probably build policies around. So yeah. Yeah, and you and I know some of the same banks that are working to be better at it. I will word it that way. They haven't figured it out, but they're willing to try and figure it out. And they're willing to take a couple lumps doing it. I just wish there were more. There's probably a handful, maybe two if we're lucky, right. that will play in any of the areas that we've talked about today. Right. And with in that in that vein, Mark, like the audience are mainly fintech companies out in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. What is it that when you're in your area, what is it you are looking for, and what's most important to you for for partners to work with in the fintech area? What is that thing that that really helps you be successful? Yeah. So. What I just said a minute ago is one big one, right? So for example, on the fiat payment processing side, you've got um, fiat payment processors that are totally fine with gaming or gambling companies, but are not okay with crypto. Then you've got fiat payment processors that are good with crypto, but not gambling. And, or same thing for banks or same thing for any other kind of financial products that are out there. And so I come back to a little bit to what I said a minute ago is we, when we uh, decide to partner with a FinTech product, whether it be financial institution, uh, like a bank or whether it's a fiat payment processor or whether it's with a trading exchange or a treasury management tool. We want those that are willing to give our business a chance and that don't just lump us in with all the other bad actors that are out there because that's not who we are. So I'm very upfront. For example, like we got a, a really good example is this. We got approached by American Express to get an American Express corporate credit card for Zen Sports. Very straightforward. You get solicitations like that all the time. My very first response back to the sales rep was, do you work with gambling? Because I don't want to waste my time and your time applying if we're only going to get rejected for that reset. They went back and talked to the supervisor and sure enough, they can't uh, approve a, 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 product, a company in the gambling space. I said, thanks for your time. And I wasn't even applying for it. They'd reach out to me, but I said, eh, this could be a nice thing to, for cash flow reasons. But I didn't want to even waste my time going through that process. And we've been doing this for so long now. That when we do get inbound approaches from any kind of financial products, it's the first thing. Are you fine with us being a licensed gambling operator? And are you fine with the crypto piece? If you are cool, I'm happy to talk to you. If not, let me know when you are. Because otherwise, it's just a waste of time for them. And that's one thing I don't have extra of this time. And and you're talking about the experience as a, as a customer. And especially with you being global, like how do you provide a great experience while maintaining compliance through the multitude of global regulations. Like we're talking about an American Express getting you, wanting you to apply for their corporate card, but you're in many countries. I can't remember the number you told me. I can't remember, but you're in a number of countries around the globe. 
how so on the, are you balancing that? Yeah, on the sports betting side, we actually did narrow our business down to just the United States. So we're not operating our sports betting app internationally anymore. We do still have our international for sale license, but we, for one of the reasons you just said, it's much easier to manage the compliance just domestically first. We will probably go back internationally uh, at some point in the next year. Um, we're going to be hiring a, a chief compliance office to help with those efforts. But right now we're just focused on the U.S. because that in itself on the on the compliance side is a lot. The esports tournaments and the crypto payments that we do still operate internationally. So uh, that part is still operating internationally. And, and so a couple of things. One is we do full KYC AML compliance checks on every single customer that comes to our app that wants to transact financially. And we outsource that to a third party that specializes in that. So we collect all the information and we run it through the API. We've been, it's all integrated into our app. We don't do it manually. They go through the KYC verification check. They upload all their documents, passports, et cetera. And it runs it through their system, make sure they're a good actor. They're not doing anything nefarious. They're not on any watch lists or anything like that. And then it gives us an approved, declined, or we need to do, not we, but they need to do more checks to see. So we put every single customer through through that. And then of course we do our own manual. If we see any funny activity or any weird activity, unusual activity, we are we are managing that, looking at that closely. So we have obviously our own AML and OFAC and PSA um, policies internally that we manage. But yeah, it's a lot, uh, that's for sure. And we, we want to stay in the good graces of regulators too, because that's we do everything by the book. We do everything in a regulated fashion yeah. in order to keep our gaming licenses. And because we, that's, it's our number one value is doing things ethically, morally, and responsibly. So we care about that, but I guess, so that's the thing I think that's what I'm wishing that other companies would do is give their customers a chance to transact. Cause we give our customers a chance to transact. They got to go through the steps, but we give them that opportunity too. And that's what should be done on the B2B side as well too, not just B2C. So. You have not touched on it, but <clears throat> as I was going through and researching and digging into all the different nooks and crannies of your website, I came across this white paper that you haven't mentioned anything about it, which surprises me, but Zen Sportsia, what is going on there? What, what do you guys got going on there? And how do you see that moving things forward? Yeah, so this is newly launched. So I've obviously talked a lot about NFTs, but we created and launched our own metaverse called Zen Sportsia about a month ago. And the whole concept of it is that there is a future of athletes and gamers and fans that need a community and want to have a close community to be able to talk to each other, to be able to compete against each other, to be able to bet against each other, to be able to do all things and everything sports and gaming wise. And there's nothing really out there for that. And we obviously touch on all these areas with our software products, with our mobile apps, so why do we not have uh, a, a metaverse and NFT collection around it? It just makes sense. As we talked about before, with NFTs being you know really important in gaming and being the future of gaming, we should and need to have this. So we launched this recently. We have our uh, first NFT drop coming up at the end of March, uh, which we're super excited about. It's a collection of 10,000 NFT athletes, all of different backgrounds, playing different sports, wearing different gear, all that kind of stuff, which is pretty cool. And uh, yep, we're doing that at the end of the month. And those NFTs will then get you into the Zen Sports Day community where there's a whole slew of benefits, like access to special tournaments, discounts and re special discounts and rewards, perks. There'll be drawings and other contests and prizes that people can win as part of being a Zen Sports Day member. And we're going to center all the things around Zen Sports Loyalty Rewards Program towards the community in Zen Sports Day. Uh, that's, we want everyone that uses our product to be part of that community. 
so that they feel like they're part of a community uh, that's important to us, not just a random customer of a product. And so we're super excited about that. It's our first foray into NFTs, but we've got a great team to execute on it. I think the artwork looks really cool. And yeah, that's on sale end of this month. There's pre-sales March 28th and the public sale is March 30th. That is awesome. Sounds like a good way for those who are curious about the NFT ecosystem and the metaverse and Web3, all of those things, a good way for them to really get in and, and have a community around them at the same time. Yep. So yeah. And I, I was just going to say one last thing. I think that's a problem of a lot of NFT projects out there is they haven't built community. And that for us really matters. Like we really care about that part of it because without that, it just doesn't have the same meaning or utility benefit that it would otherwise. So before we go, how can people participate in Zen Sportsia? How do they get involved? How do they find out more about it? We know Zen Sports, go download the app. We'll have links in the show notes and down below. We'll have all that fun stuff, but Zen Sportsia, that's the new thing and, and that's where we're headed. So how do they get involved? Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to zensportsia.com. So it's zensports and then ia.com. And there are links to our Discord and our Twitter. Those are the two most active communities that we have. Our Discord is getting close to 5,000 people. At Twitter, which we just launched like a month ago, is about 1,500. And so that's really where our most active communities are, especially Discord. So they should go there and they can get a link right to the Discord and join that. They can sign up so they can buy an NFT and be a part of that. And then from there, we're doing all sorts of cool things. Like I mentioned, we just ran this last weekend a $2,500 prize esports tournament for just those that were on the whitelist to buy an NFT. So almost kind of a pre-membership to that, just specifically for that group. So yeah, everything is starts from zensportsia.com. And then from there goes to our Discord and our Twitter. And then from there, we announce all the other things that we're doing. Oh, that is awesome, Mark. Is there anything else that I may have left out? We've run the gamut here of so many different things. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that maybe I missed? I would just say that I think that cryptocurrencies have a really important place in the future of payments and rewards. And I like the fact that some traditional financial institutions are embracing it. And I just hope that more continue to do so, especially as more stable coins and even the U.S. government gets into offering uh, crypto and a stable coin, you can bet that everything is going to start to be geared towards that. And I just say that the sooner the better. Get some policies in place to get these things approved on your end as a vendor so that when B2B partners come along, you've got a way for them to use your products. Consumers are adopting it. Millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, this is this is all they know. They don't want to be told what to do with their money either. So they, as you can see from the, the GameStop and the meme stock days of 2021 they, and Robinhood and the proliferation of that trading platform and Binance and Kraken and, and crypto exchanges is really embrace this because this is where the future customers are headed. And they're fine with fiat too, by the way. It's not that they're not, but exclude crypto from the portfolio of offerings that you have because it really is where people want to start a transacting. And so that's basically all, all I have to say out there is to just embrace that because it's here and it's going to get Gonna... Mark, thank you so much. I always enjoy our conversations and look forward to seeing what Zen Sports has up their sleeve here in the next few years. Thank you for having me, Ted. I really appreciate it. 
Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential. Our show notes in each episode are available at www.fintechconfidential.com. And you can get Fintech Confidential information by signing up at access.fintechconfidential.com. If you want to be a guest on Fintech Confidential, submit your application at guest.fintechconfidential.com. Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid.